This is the Power Breakfast Show podcast series. Podcast series. Remember, like, share, and subscribe. Power 102 Digital. minutes after the hour is 7 o'clock. Thank you, Avril, for our major news. Of course, we've got a news brief coming up at 8 o'clock, and that's all good. You see the fine folks out at Champlain Auto Services. All right, before we give you the results of our morning poll and introduce our guest, let's take a quick look at what's happening traffic-wise. Still a bit lighter than usual, but the usual spots, Trinity City to Page, McCoy Road. Well, I should say Page Road is busy, top to bottom. East and Road, not too bad. Usual spots coming down from St. Joseph, also a bit heavy. Barataria, Port of Spain, you've got some traffic there. I got no accidents to tell you about. All right, if you're from the South Slam, you're free into the Churchill Roosevelt Highway. All right, um, regarding our morning poll, got a couple of more votes for you. I got uh, Trev Trev in Arima saying yes. I got Jacqueline saying yes. And I got Sankofa. Yep. He is also saying yes. So let's get to the final results there, Richie Rich. Well, our poll this morning was or is, do you think that there should be more Indo and Afro Trinidadian civil society groups on the committee? Um, of course, that's a committee set up by cabinet to examine um, statues, monuments, and other historical signage in Trinidad and Tobago. We, we had 26 people voting on the poll this morning. 19 of you said yes, and seven of you said no. Of course, you can continue to vote on this poll throughout the day, through all programming, and we'll give you the final results um, tomorrow morning. That's right. Which will be, which will be Friday, believe it or not. We are mm-hmm. already at the weekend. All right. Um, I'm not seeing you guys, and I need to hear from Dorothy. So, good morning, Dorothy. Where is Dorothy? Recording so, in progress. There is Dorothy, unseen co-host on our morning show. Good morning, Shabaka. What's happening? Good morning, Steve. You all right? Yes, indeed. Well, I look at you and Richard, and you all in black. You didn't. You all didn't let me know this morning. I could have worn black. They say black is me. You look slim. Yeah. Well, well, that's why. That's why I dress in black. I don't know about. Uh, I definitely I'm black and you look slim, Steve. Can you get away with it? Look slim with black. <sighs> well, good morning, Shabaka. You see what Welcome I have to put to up with? Power. Welcome to the Power Breakfast Show. Power Breakfast. All right. Good morning, mm-hmm. Shabaka. How are you? Good. Good. Good, Paul. Of course, of course, we're talking um, the committee that was set up by cabinet, yeah. and of course, our poll this morning is actually in reference to a quote that is from you, um, um, as indicated in the newspapers, um, with regard to the representation of Indo and Afro Afro Trinidadian 
civil society groups on the committee. Um, could you could you explain? I am assuming that this is a correct quote. Let me start off by saying that. <laughs> and um, and so, if you could give some context in why you think that representation should be on the committee in a more emphatic way. I don't know, Paul, but uh, Richard. But let me let me um, if you have uh, uh, let me start off by saying that if you if you have what we have right now is indigenous civil society represented on the committee, but you don't have an uh, explicitly African or Indian civil society represented on the committee. I think that that could be problematic. I also think. Um, and I have received a number of calls now from uh, indigenous uh, members of the indigenous community of Trinidad and Tobago who are dissatisfied with their their own representative on that committee. That is Chief Ricardo Barath. Um, that's because he has been uh, a radical outlier uh, in terms of his perspective on the removal of Christopher Columbus, and not just a radical outlier in the national community, a radical outlier in his own community, and a radical outlier in the uh, the in the hemispheric indigenous community. And so the reports I am getting is that uh, indigenous people, uh, not just in Trinidad and Tobago, but up the islands as well, are dissatisfied with his appointment because of his radical stance where their community is concerned. They have been the leaders since the 1970s uh, in calls to end uh, the open glorification of Christopher Columbus. In fact, I think the year was 1977, the very first time indigenous people had a voice on the international stage at the level of the UN. They called for uh, the removal of Christopher Columbus from uh, uh, places of open uh, of, of, of public veneration. And so uh, Ricardo Barras stands in stark contrast the views of his community and, as I, and, and last night uh somebody called into my radio show to tell me that even in Irima, in his own community they don't think he'd be able to find three people who would agree with him and so uh it, that that is problematic that somebody who is so uh, openly um uh partisan on the issue uh would be invited but of course for me i always believe in inclusion and i think the whole the uh, premise of the project is that I wanted our people to be able to look at uh, Port of Spain differently, to see uh, their values represented and to see themselves represented. I don't want Port of Spain, uh, I, you know, some people would have accused me of trying to, to change the, the streets, names and the, the people who are honored to African people or uh, any other. I, it needs to be inclusive. All the people of Trinidad and Tobago need to see themselves. And I think the committee... Uh, as a starting point, should start in that way. So but let's talk. But, but, but let, actually, let's talk about that, Shabaka, because when we when we did a poll yesterday, and our poll yesterday, I believe, was on Picton specifically. Yes. And whether he should be removed, and all indications of him removed across Trinidad and Tobago. And while the majority said yes, there was a sizable minority that said no, and some of the explanations. Um, when people voted no, was that they felt that history, I'm paraphrasing them, and my apologies to the listeners if I'm paraphrasing you wrong, but I think they were saying, uh, some of them were saying, well, he is part of our history, and even though it's an ugly part, it's still something that we need to discuss. So they're saying contextualize it in terms of who he was, what he did, but don't erase it because it's part of the history. A version of that at least some of them said that some of them didn't give any explanation they just said no they don't think um there was um the name they, they just voted on the poll no they don't think his name should be removed um i i don't and i'm sure this explanation or this argument has cropped up from time to time with you and on this journey which is a pretty long journey that you're on in terms of get all of these things rectified um, where people say, well, it's part of the historical narrative, and how do you balance that in terms of obliterating it? Because you can't obliterate history. Um, okay, so so I'm not surprised if there is some minority, and I know it's the minority, but I'm not surprised that there's a minority 
that would feel strongly against this type of activity. Uh, we in the Caribbean are victims of colonial epistemic violence. We usually think of uh, the other kinds of violence, the violence of, uh, of, of, of genocide, slavery, indentureship, and the apartheid system that we live between uh, emancipation and independence. We think in terms of that kind of violence, but what we don't realize is we're also victims of epistemic violence. And so uh, the colonials did not want us to come into a knowledge, into contact with the violence that they committed in any visible, tangible, or educational way. And so we are, people, when people say they don't want to move Picton, they don't want to move the Picton that is inside their imagination, that was implanted in their imagination. The actual Picton, the character who, who lived upon this earth, who was the first British governor of Toronto Tobago, they don't know who he is or what he did. I, I know that for a fact. None of the narratives I've seen anywhere so far, including those coming out of the United Kingdom, that uh, that are uh, uh, that are uh, uh, all uh, pro removal, actually give a full context of the villain that Picton was in Trinidad and Tobago. So knowledge is really important, and in fact. The, 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 the monuments that we see in our public spaces are part of the miseducation, are part of the colonial epistemic violence. When they left the Caribbean in 1962, 80% of the people here were functionally illiterate and therefore could not access uh, epistemic violence through their textbooks. So they used Empire Day, Columbus Day, uh, all the streets, all the, the things so to, to put their narrative uh, in front of people. And of course, that narrative in a nutshell is that slavery in Trinidad was short and benign and we were all one family thereafter. It was one love between 1838 and 1962. Totally, patently false. Uh, how, does, how does one, one Shabaka, what benchmark do you think is going to be employed by such a committee? Looking at the history the history of slavery, African slavery, history of indentured, because the uh, indentured workers were also treated badly. Uh, in terms of the atrocities that were committed, uh, those men, and in case, some cases, women were creatures of their time and what was status quo at the time. Unfortunately, slavery was legal at that time and they they, the crown colonies, the colonizers brought the slaves here, uh, in some cases, in some jurisdictions, eradicated entire populations. Uh, if you look at North America, for instance, what happened to the Native Indians? What, what is the benchmark that should be used for what level of atrocity would rise to the occasion of removal of that individual's name from, uh, not only in Port of Spain, you mentioned Port of Spain, but certainly all over the country, the, the atrocities would have occurred because they have... They have streets of similar names in San Fernando, etc. When the community starts to converge. So, 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 Paul, it's not about what they did in their time, but, uh, you know, what we, rev what, what values we proclaim in our time. So, uh, and, and this is what, this is the consensus across the world. So, for example, uh, in Spain, and, and I, I want to single out Spain because Spain has uh, that country, through their ambassador, has been working against uh, the, the, the efforts to remove Columbus, not just in Toronto, Tobago, but across the, the Caribbean. Uh, but that country, while they were doing that, they were removing all monuments to a man called General Franco. And they simply said, according to the, the, the Spanish uh, premier at the time, that uh, honoring someone who was a dictator who caused the deaths of so many people was incompatible with their democracy. And I think we need to have a similar standard. Who, uh, who is it that we revere today that is incompatible with the values we want for our future? We have a, a society that is among the, the most uh, violent societies in the world when it comes to crime, homicidal crime. Uh, according to uh, per, per capita, we are in the top 20 countries in the world 
perhaps in the top 10, I have to look at the latest statistics uh, in terms of homicide, the homicide rates per capita. And, uh, and, and so we would want to project a set of values that would move us beyond that, uh, that state and, uh, and celebrating colonial criminals who were the icons of the genocide of the native people, of enslavement of native people and Africans, of indentureship of Indians, and the apartheid, and I use the word apartheid, knowing the word very clearly, it's, it's becoming more and more the language that CARICOM is using to describe the period between emancipation and present. The icons of that period are the ones who uh, were celebrated by colonialism because that was the value system of colonialism. The people who, and, it's, and some people think it's a racial thing, it's not. There were white people during the colonial period who stood up against uh, uh, those values in that period. And they, like the African and Indian uh, and other Portuguese, etc., Chinese heroes, they were buried in the dustbin of history as well. Uh, and so I think uh, the question is not about what they did in the past, but about how they are, uh, about what we value today. Those are the, you, you revere, you celebrate and you glorify people uh, and values that you believe in. And, and so that's going to be, that has to be uh, the benchmark. Of course, Picton was in his own time considered to be the tyrant of Trinidad and the bloodstained governor. He was tried uh, at King's Bench in the UK and found guilty for torturing a 14-year-old girl here in Toronto, Tobago. Of course, she was considered to be a citizen of empire. She was a free-colored person. Uh, he was not tried for the crimes he committed against African ancestors who were on the plantations because they weren't considered human beings at the time. Uh, in the case of somebody like, let's say, Churchill, uh, Winston Churchill from the Churchill and Roosevelt Highway, I see that uh, Professor Emeritus Bridget Barrington has already stated publicly that she would be opposed to removing his name from the highway. Uh, I think there are some uh, Indian brothers and sisters in this country who would disagree. He is now uh, considered one of the unsung mass murderers of the 20th century. In his own time, he was compared to Hitler by members of his own cabinet, and he's responsible for the murder uh, or the deaths of over 3 million Indians. Uh, he, he even stated uh, he was such a, an arch racist that uh, Indians were a beastly people with a beastly religion. I'm not sure. I certainly wouldn't want to uh, to continue to glorify someone like that. And of course, as I could say, I could go one step further and tell you that even in the UK itself, that is in the United Kingdom, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, university campuses that ha have named buildings after Churchill are debating whether or not they should continue to honor him. Uh, so I think we need to be open to having a, a, an honest discussion about his character and about whether we feel that it is okay for us to continue to honor somebody like that. Will you, uh, I mean, in terms of this committee that was set, uh, that is set up by cabinet, mm -hmm. I'm, I mean, it seemed to me that you were an obvious choice to be on the committee simply because you have been such a vocal advocate of this issue for so many years. Did it surprise you that you were not on the committee or it doesn't surprise you when it comes to political um, appointments and things like that? <laughs> I, find, I have to say, I, you know, everything surprises me about uh, how things happen here. Because of course we petitioned parliament uh, in, uh, in, in, in July uh, 2020 uh, to establish this committee to identify, destroy, repurpose, or reconstitute monuments, memorials, emblems, signs, symbols, and the like that celebrate, commemorate, and glorify racism and white supremacy. We petitioned. That petition was read by a member of the government in the House, and it passed without objection. So, uh, you know, we have championed this since 2017. How strange is that, that uh, we would not be, or we'd be excluded from such a committee? Now, um, you know, it, it, there's still the possibility, uh, according to the, 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 some of the things that, that have been said to us, that uh, that could change. But, uh, you know, what is the likelihood of it? 
And of course, why would, uh, you know, if you have a school feeding program and somebody's advocated for school feeding, would it be strange that uh, you're setting it up and you set up a commission to look into it and leave out the person who's been advocating for school feeding? That seems a bit odd. And I think that uh, uh, various uh, entities across the society are going to begin to wade in on that uh, over the next uh, couple of weeks as this thing begins to move forward. How, how important is the is also the aspect because a lot of what you your advocacy has been about is actually identifying the miseducation and correcting the misinformation and part of what to me should be i think has been advocated by yourself and others is the educational aspect of this because a lot of trinidadian to be trinidadians and tobagonians and visitors really don't know the history as accurately as should be accurately told so is it that part of this uh project or this this movement is to ensure that the education system now uh is reorganized especially in terms of caribbean history to reflect the accuracies of these people who will now become uh, removed as persons who are the, the statue, the, the words and statues, and also to to tell the stories of the Caribbean heroes and the Trinidadian heroes who have built the country. Yeah, I think I think um, uh, we have stated explicitly from the very onset that uh, the monuments uh, and, and symbols really sat on a narrative that was uh, in our children's textbooks that was in itself uh, disgraceful and erroneous. And uh, the best example I could give you is the Christopher Columbus hero narrative, uh, the hagiography around uh, Christopher Columbus, which uh, is a ritual that all children from the age of about seven across the Caribbean must participate in. Of course, it is a primer for them to 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 to, to understand uh, and to and to um, to accept the status quo that they live in that society of white over brown over black the idea that uh, it is okay for the powerful to rule over and exploit the weak uh, that there's some kind of divine um, uh, sanction for this all that is in that Columbus hero narrative that uh, they feed our children as their first lesson in history across the Caribbean. So we've always been very clear about that. And as I said, um, I think that the reason we're having this committee today is because of the tireless work uh, that we've done, the research that we've done, demonstrating that we have the capacity to engage the national population, to educate, to share the information, to, to dig in the archives, to find the, 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 the secrets, the truths. And so it really would be a shame uh, if indeed we were not uh, uh, invited to participate in such a thing. What do you think is resonating now? You, you, have you, I've been discussing this with you for over, almost 15 years. Almost, you know, why do you think it's actually resonating now or resonated now? Uh, well, uh, for the same reason that is resonating uh, all across the world. Um, you know, these the, the idea of 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 of, of of people becoming, and I think let's deal with Trinidadian situation for a second. Uh, during the period of uh, Eric Williams's rule, he set up a committee to look in this, a very, sa very same committee, uh, somewhere in the late 70s, run by uh, uh, a Dr. C.B. Gawking. Uh, of course, that work was unfinished. When we went to the University of West Indies and we started what we thought was original work with the removal of the name of Alfred Milner, we discovered that Eric Williams had pioneered that work. And in fact, he was planning to remove Alfred Milner uh, while he was alive. And the only reason that he didn't do it was because uh, Lady Alice was the chancellor at the time. And her, her family was friends with the uh, Milner family. And by the way, Milner's descendants fly into Trinidad every so often. And the lime in Woodbrook and think people don't know that. But they, yeah, he, he, was, uh, he, was, um, he, he felt that it would embarrass her at the time. But Williams was absolutely certain about the fact that we would have to look critically 
at the names and values that were celebrated in our public places. I am sure if he were alive today, he'd be shocked to know that leader after leader, after his time of his own party, didn't see it fit to do the necessary. And so um, what makes this particular moment uh, so uh, important is the same thing that made the 70s so important. Uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, uh, which uh, brought into uh, clear relief um, the, 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 the issues of race and racism. And it brought uh, to the fore the idea, the understanding that the way the world was set up, certain people of color didn't have the same, their lives didn't have the same value as others. And so once you revalue, once you re-evaluate the lives of people of color, uh, and you put it on the same level as other people, then the same rules apply. So the consensus across the world is if you kill X amount of millions of people, you cannot be honored in a public space. In the case of Hitler, as an example, there are many monuments to Hitler, many of them designed by a British artist called Arnold Brecker. They're all put away in a warehouse in Germany. They, they are not fit for public display. Because the Jews are human beings, and Hitler this did his crimes to human beings. The reason that Columbus remains standing in many parts of the Caribbean, and let me say that many of his statues have been removed all across the hemisphere. I don't know what makes the Caribbean such an outlier. Uh, the reason that his statues, because we still don't acknowledge the full humanity of indigenous people in the region. If you look at our textbooks and the way we talk about them, it is as if they're not quite on par with the rest of humanity. They don't have full humanity in the narrative. And that's why it's okay for us to celebrate the man who initiated uh, the genocide and enslavement of that people. The same goes for people of African descent. When we talk about somebody who, was, who practiced uh, slavery and trafficking our ancestors, we often say, but yeah, that's just a little slavery. We don't fully comprehend that there are, we're talking about human beings, hundreds and hundreds and thousands and millions of human beings who lived in the most odious uh, of, 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 of criminal enterprises, uh, you know, and, and, and we can't grasp that. We are not taught to grasp that. And we're not taught that they are actual human beings. So wherever you find that Black life has been revalued and put on par with white life, it naturally follows that the people who uh, committed crimes against black life would immediately come into question. In terms of the, the monuments and street signs, of course, we would have touched on um, Thomas Picton, we would have touched on Christopher Columbus. Um, what are the major other monuments and or street names or figures we are celebrating uh, that you have a concern with that you think should be removed? Well, um, again, the way that colonialism operated is that it honored, uh, you know, the value system of colonialism meant that they honored the icons of their great crimes. Uh, and so they would have honored the icon of native genocide, the icons of enslavement, the icons of indentureship and apartheid, the people who practice those things at the highest level. And so we're going to find that when we begin to uh, lift the lid on a lot of the, 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 the people who are celebrated, particularly in the capital city of Port of Spain and Woodbrook, etc., we're going to be surprised uh, by what we find out about them. One person I want to highlight today, uh, which is going to be, I'm sure it's going to be a, a shocker for most, is Woodford. Woodford is one of the most celebrated, openly glorified historical figures in this country. He was the longest serving British governor. He has a, 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 a what you call it, the, the, the Woodford Square, streets, cafes. He has a life-size monument in the Anglican Cathedral. He has another one in the Catholic Cathedral downtown. Woodford was the greatest white supremacist in the history of this country. And the actions that he took during his time as governor of Trinidad reverberate in our society today. 
there's a there's a there's a, a, his, a piece of history which, which I'm sure you're not familiar with, where 700 Trinidadians left this country in 1854. That is a couple of decades after Woodford's rule, uh, uh, led by a man called Numa Diocis, who was a wealthy property uh, entrepreneur in this country, and he left a note. And in that note, he said it was impossible for somebody with one drop of black blood to find any happiness in this country. And so 700 colored people, and that is people who would have been considered white today, left this country because of the legacy of Governor Woodford, the legacy which included the segregation of churches and schools, which continued well into the 20th century. A lot of people don't realize that. That is Woodford's legacy. Woodford encouraged whites to be exceedingly harsh with people of color. And there are stories from his time in office where people were literally beaten in the streets. Uh, and so uh, any society, and I, I want to say that what is also interesting about when you do research into Woodford is that uh, people stood up against Woodford. People stood up and sacrificed their lives uh, uh, to try to move the society forward. And there's one brother in particular, a man called Francis de Ritter, the first colored priest in this country, Catholic priest in this country. He took on Woodford and the hierarchy of his own church and set up his own Catholic church and Catholic school where Rosary Boys uh, and Rosary Church is today in that very same spot. And it was the first desegregated school, the first desegregated church in the country. What kind of country are we when we celebrate the man who tried to promote segregation in our schools and our churches with streets, etc., cafes, plazas, etc., and the man who set up the first desegregated school and desegregated church? We forget about him. What kind of people are we? You know? And so... Well, we didn't forget about him. We, we, we have not been taught about him at all. Because, I mean, no, well, there's a reason we haven't been taught about him. The colonials felt that they needed us to celebrate. Woodford, Woodford um, uh, Square wasn't named after Woodford while he was alive. You know? A hundred years after he was dead, somebody said, this is the man we need to revere. We need to put this man in front of the people of Toronto Bagel uh, so he, they could be inspired by his vision and his ideas and so on. And they renewed and they named the place Woodford Square. Uh, they could have chosen at that time if their value system was in keeping with the one we proclaim today, every creed and race find an equal place, to honor Francis the Ritter. Why hasn't the church up to today? That's another good question. Why hasn't the church gone and found their own priest who stood up against Woodford? Why are both churches still honoring Woodford inside with, with, with as I said, a life-size monument in the Anglican Church and another marble monument in the Catholic Cathedral? These are all interesting questions that are going to come to the well, well, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's a, it, may, it may be considered a controversial question, but uh, how much should the committee be considering the indoctrination of religious groups when, when the, the conversation continues in this regard? Because part of what the colonization was, was eradicating African religion, it, the the Hinduism uh, came with the indentured uh, workers, so it it largely maintained to some to a significant level. But there are many who suggest that some of the larger religious denominations also played a part in colonization, not necessarily in, maybe in always in terms of islands, but certainly in terms of erasing a particular history, the accuracy of the history, and replacing it with Catholicism. Yeah, well, I, I don't want us to overstep the bounds of the work that that, that that needs to be done here. I mean, there are all kinds of, when we talk about the history, we could get involved in all kinds of subjects, but I think we need to stay focused here on the people and values that are celebrated in our public places. And certainly, we would want uh, the, the religious bodies uh, to operate uh, in this historical moment uh, right now, today, uh, in support of to stand on the right side of history with the rest of the population in this country uh, and to help us to move forward. Uh, well, I mentioned it because you, you mentioned the fact that the, the churches did not celebrate the, the person who 
champion desegregation in schools. Interestingly yeah. enough. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Well, the thing about it is that the uh, Redair would have founded uh, what he would call what what some historians call a renegade Catholic church, and um, and what Rosary Boys and, and Rosary uh, Rosary churches today, uh, which sits out on the land. I'm not sure that the church ever paid for that land from the Derrida family. I think uh, he was uh, persecuted to death by Woodford. He was on his way to the Vatican when he died to see if he could get uh, the support of the hierarchy of the church uh, to, to, to address the kinds of, of, of white supremacist activities that he was so disturbed about that Woodford was committed in Trinidad. Um, and then sometime a few decades after his death, uh, his school and church were demolished uh, on that property on Park Street, and the church took that property and then built Rosary Boys and Rosary School. There should at least be, um, for the least, uh, a clear acknowledgement of, of the, his, the historical um, significance of that particular uh, building and that structure. But there's so many more stories like this that are going to come to the fore when you get into the history. And this is why it's such a tragedy that we who have done this work for so long, who have done this research, who have this information are not uh would not be invited to such a but i know enough about politics that know that that nothing happens my guess is is reparation beyond the remit of this committee you think the conversation on reparation well this conversation is certainly related to the conversation on reparations how can you ask for a, a country for reparations and continue to celebrate the icons of the crime against humanity that you're asking for reparations for. How can you openly glorify uh, uh, enslavers like Picton uh, and others, and at the same time, pretend that you're interested in getting reparations for the crimes they committed against your ancestors? Something is incongruent. There's a contradiction there. And so, of course, the two things are related. There's also the fact that, as I said, uh, these monuments are part of the epistemic violence of colonialism. And they are the reason, uh, that is part of the structure that uh, what Bob Marley talked about, mental slavery, that mentally enslaved people uh, in such a way that they, many of them, if you were to offer them reparations, they might refuse because, <laughs> because the story that they've been told about their past is so false that they don't think they have, anybody has anything to, uh, uh, to, to compensate them for, so so these are all you know. This is this is these things are all related. Are you willing to take some calls? Yeah, and I'm going to ask him that actually. And uh, so we can open the phone lines. How much of this is important in terms of reversing the development tendencies we face in the country generally? Well, again, I, I think that these, these these things are connected. So one of the big issues that we have right now in the Caribbean is crime. And, uh, uh, you know, if we, uh, if we step back and look at the, the crime issue, we would recognize that this is not a local issue. There are about eight countries from the English-speaking Caribbean that are among the most uh, that are in that top 20 countries with the highest homicide rates in the world. You know, we, we talk about police violence in the United States of America. There is There are historians in Trinidad who argue that our uh, the rate of police killings in Trinidad per capita might be higher than the United States of America. That is extrajudicial killing by the police. Uh, all these things are related to our history, the people and values that we proclaim in our public spaces. They're all connected. When we begin to understand our past, we begin to understand why the Caribbean is in such a mess. And then we could, according to Franz Fanon, we could find the exact measure of the actions that we must take to liberate our future. Uh, you have to retrace the lines of colonial violence to understand the exact measure of the actions that you must take to free your future. So I'll just give you a very small example, right? When we think of hairstyles for children going to school uh, and for people going to work, uh, we think we know what's best. We don't realize that 
the ideas that we, we, we think through come through a colonial prism, a prism of colonial violence. And so we have a situation where in this country, boys like uh, Richard, if Richard and, uh, and yourself, Paul, if you were going to school, uh, you would be sitting, you might sit next to an Indian person or somebody racialized as white, uh, uh, and they would be able to have hair going down to their shoulders. But you would have, your teacher would come to you from the time your hair got to about a centimeter long and ask you to cut it because your hair was unkempt and unneat, and nobody would object. That kind of discrimination is rife in, in, in our society. Well, I have a personal, I have a personal, I have a personal issue with, with a nephew of mine who went through that at a prestige school four years ago where he decided he was 14 years old coming into his own, you know, sense of identity forming and decided to grow his hair and his mother plaited his hair and the teacher said, you can't come, come in the school like that and it got to the principal. And I asked, well, why are the other boys in the school of East Indian descent allowed to grow their hair to their shoulders? And he said, it's a matter of neatness. So are you saying African hair is unneat in its natural state? And the conversation ended and he said, um, you, he can grow his hair, <laughs> you know, because the, 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 the mindset was that because his hair was natural African hair, plaited growing down, um, that it was, it, there was an objection. Yeah. Paul, let me right, say we, this. We, we do have a call, gentlemen, so I want to grab each man holding for a while. Uh, good morning. Good morning. I just tuning. I don't know if this, if the gentleman can answer this question. I would like to know what Gandhi's statue is doing in San Fernando. Why is it, was it put there? What happened that it's in, on the promenade in San Fernando? Gandhi's statue. All right. Thank you. Well, well any statue that is put up by any particular group of people uh, will be put up because they believe that it represents their values, that that, that person is somebody that they want to encourage the society to emulate. Of course, there's some controversy over Gandhi's statues uh, recently uh, because of uh, his actions and utterances in South Africa. So some statues of Gandhi on the continent of Africa have been removed. But uh, in the context of the Caribbean, he is still viewed through the lens of his anti-colonial activity, which is very real and very profound. All right. You were going to say something before we do that call to Shabaka. About, about some, something the here, style thing is superficial, but it's not. Yeah, right, it's like, it 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 a value system. It was a value, the value of everybody is equal. Yeah, just to go back to the point that I'm making, that you have to retrace the lines of colonial violence to find the exact measure of the actions that you must take to free your future. So anywhere colonialism went, including uh, on the continent of Africa, African hair was criminalized. So today, we are having this conversation in Trinidad. They're having the same conversation in South Africa, in Nigeria, uh, in other, other countries on the eastern, uh, uh, southeastern part of the continent. Everywhere that colonialism went, every single thing about the native that was natural to the native, the food that they ate, the color of their skin, the texture of their hair, the color of their eyes, the way that they walked, the clothes that they wore, everything was criminalized. And when you become independent, you have to begin to engage in a critical conversation on the values that you inherit from colonialism. And that's what this project is really about. And in doing so, you can discover uh, the, the kinds of measures you need to take to protect your people from the, uh, the, the continuation of, of colonial violence and let me just say uh just to make the point really clearly again in 1962 when we uh achieved independence or uh, the opportunity to give substance and form to independence because it's it's not an end in itself but a beginning uh the, for the vast majority of people across the caribbean 80 percent were functionally illiterate only thereafter uh, uh, did we, we and we then unwittingly expanded colonial epistemic violence in our efforts to try to create uh, citizens that were pillars of these new democracies that we were creating. 
We went around building schools to universalize uh, literacy. But unwittingly, we took the, the content of a colonial curriculum and, and, uh, and expanded its reach. In other words, we are responsible for our own mental enslavement in the Caribbean. The colonials didn't invest enough money uh, and resources in the education system to fully achieve that while they were in power. We did it for them when we took over accidentally. And we're going to have to come to terms with that as we go into the future. All right, let's take this call. Good morning. Hi, good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. Now, I appreciate um applaud what it is that you have seen, um, given a historical uh, perspective of what occurred and the need to change, um, to amend the, the, the history itself, right? My problem is that this form of communication only happens around the Emancipation Day, but at least it's disseminated to the public among the Emancipation Day. And there seems to be a disconnect when it is that you have persons external to the African diaspora seem to be attacking the family home. And there seems to be a silence on the Emancipation Support Committee. And I was hoping that and probably get your perspective as to persons who communicate on emancipation their speech and tend to associate the African or persons of African heritage and affiliation with only about man. And with what sorry? I didn't hear the arm. With man, 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 right? And not recognition of our accomplishment in, in terms of um, education medicine and what role we play in. Now, the history needs to be taught in the schools because Trinidad is replete with history in terms of um, slave revolts. Um, we don't know about these, these names of these individuals. The, the identity is not uh, created. So the African youth and them do not have an identity or appreciation of what has happened and, and the, the milestone that we contribute to Trinidad Tobago. Right? So there needs to be greater communication for the Emancipation Support Committee and persons of yourself representing that form of history and recognition. And, and show us, explain to us the, the masters and servants and how that impacted upon the persons of African heritage in terms of accumulating wealth. Right? Thank you very much. Thank you, caller. Let me, let, let, I, I, let me see if I can answer the parts of the question that I got. So first of all, Emancipation Day, the celebration was deliberately set up as an institution to sit alongside the education system uh, uh, and other, the church, etc., other institutions uh, that we felt that were uh, that were underserving people where uh, education was concerned. That's how it was deliberately set up. The extent to which it has been effective in terms of its work is the extent to which uh, it has been resourced and it has been resourceful in its work. But the intention has always been to set up an institution that would, that would sit alongside and critique the work of the institutions that would have had so much of their DNA uh, constructed in the colonial period. And so uh, it's not surprising to me that you would find that information like this would come out around emancipation time. And of course, we would all want uh, 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 you know, that type of work to, to continue year round. But again, you have an opportunity now for an organization like the, the People's National Movement to set up a committee and people who, like myself, who are, are, are pioneering this work are not invited to sit on the committee. That tells you something about the, the, the strain that, uh, that, that people in civil society have to suffer uh, who have uh, declared, uh, 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 you know, uh, a dividend of energy on behalf of the people. It's not something that uh, comes with any reward. It's not something that uh, is acknowledged. In fact, uh, it, uh, the work that you, you, you find yourself working in opposition to the powers that be very often. So that's, that's, that's important for people to note. Uh, what, what was the other aspect of the question? I didn't, I didn't get all of it there. Oh, I just want to mention, you talked about family. Uh, going back to Woodford again, one of the things that Woodford did was he discouraged marriage 
among people of color in this country. We talk about all these single family homes, uh, you know, and, and the relationship between that and, and the period of colonialism. Well, one, Woodford was there as a pillar. He, he, he made it very difficult for people of color to get married uh, and, and to have, uh, uh, you know, properly constituted families. He was a, a, a major part of that. And of course, uh, he's going to be, we're going to look uh, critically at him uh, over the next few months. And if the committee doesn't decide that he must go, we're going to definitely going to raise that as an issue. So that, I think that's what I could get from that question. I hope I answered it adequately. Yeah. Well, time has um, crept up on us, Shabaka, because um, so we'll have to end the interview at this point. So I don't know if you have any um, ending words that you'd like to say before we close off the interview. Yeah, well, I think that um, one of the things we're going to have to do over the next month is to educate people specifically about Picton because, again, the Queen's collection has been, um, uh, the Royal collection has been modified for the crimes committed in Trinidad. You had the, uh, the, the, the Heroes Gallery in Wales in Cardiff City Hall. His statue was removed there because of the crimes he committed in Trinidad. And, of course, the Museum of Wales has also removed his portrait. And Trinidadians need to know why these things were done. Uh, I also want to, to, to quickly uh, uh, remind people that this work is not new. Some of our greatest intellectuals, and I think that is the question that I missed in the, from the caller, that we tend to focus when, when I deal with the authorities and they say, okay, Shabaka, if you want to move this, what should we put there? They tend to want to focus on somebody involved in the culture. They don't want to acknowledge the people who sacrifice their lives for the freedoms we want, we enjoy today. That's going to be a, another battle that we're going to have to face uh, after uh, removal and so on. We're going to have to look at the people that we actually pull out of our own history to put in front of our children. Uh, and so that's going to be another uh, important factor. But we do have great thinkers. There's a there's a, uh, the, the, the great um, Jan Karu from Guyana said that these false heroes that we celebrate and honor, and he spoke specifically about Columbus, he said they, uh, they, they don't only blight or, or, or burden our history, but they burden our character as well. The great Franz Fanon from Martinique said, and I'm going to leave you with this quote, imperialism leaves behind germs of rot, which we must clinically detect and remove not just from our land, but from our minds as well. Thank you very much. All right, thank you, Shamaka Kambon. And that's where we'll end the interview this morning. And of course, the conversation will continue. Of course. As the committee does its work. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of conversation concerning whatever decisions they make. Um, because Trinidad is that kind of space where everybody has an opinion. And it's going to be echoed across social media for sure. So I'm sure we'll have you back, Shabaka, to see what how it all plays out. It's always a pleasure to be with you guys here on this program, my friend. Take care. All right, Shabaka. Thank you so much. All the best. Have a great one. All right. Of course, that was Shabaka Campbell. Let's get into our news. Of course, AV is in. Thank you for choosing Power 102 Digital. Listen every weekday for our live show starting at 6 a.m. Remember, like, share, and subscribe. Power 102 Digital.